0: I entitled this morning's message, Spending Time with Jesus. Also welcome those who are watching from home and the internet. We welcome you here as well. God bless you. But I entitled the message, Spending Time with Jesus, because there was never a dull moment when Jesus was around. You know, you could always spend time with Jesus. Something would always come up. There was always a teaching opportunity. There was always confrontation. There was always difficulties. There was amazement. So there's never a dull moment with Jesus. So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 to start. It says, Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing this, or doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering said to them, have you not even read this? That David, what David did when he was hungry, he and those with him. How he went into the house of God, took and ate the show bread, and also gave to those with him. Not which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So, never a dull moment with Jesus here. Jesus is walking with his disciples. And they're walking through the grain fields. And uh, I've been to Israel and a couple of times, and you know, I, I got an opportunity to pick wheat. And what's interesting is wheat and the terrors, like the little foxtails, that you get in your socks when you run through a field. They look almost identical, but uh, the grain you, you, you put in your hand and you go like this, and you get this little seed and they were eating it. So now on this particular day, the disciples were with Jesus and the Pharisees were there, the religious leaders of the time. And the disciples were with unwashed hands. Because there was not the Sea of Galilee right there. But with unwashed hands, they were rubbing um, these uh, grains of head. And they were eating out of it. And now the word Sabbath here, because the Pharisees were saying that they were breaking the law. They were breaking the law. They were doing something irreverently, irreligious. And what Sabbath means is the seventh day of the week was a sacred festival. And the Israelites were required in the Old Testament to abstain from work. And this is modeled after the seven day, uh, six days of creation and the seventh day when the Lord created the world. So we see this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. He said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do no work. But on the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Nor your sons, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor even your cattle or the stranger who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So the Sabbath day was meant for a time of rest for God's people and a time for worship. Now, these guys... We're doing this and eating. Now they were considering that work. You know, it doesn't seem like a big deal to me, but, you know, going to Israel too, when we went to Israel on our trip, you go to Israel on on the Sabbath day, you know, you can't even hit the button. You can't even hit the button to go up on the elevator. It stops at all floors, except you get in one of the, the Gentile ones and you could push the button. But, it, but it's very interesting. They, they think this will keep you out of heaven. So a very religious. But the Sabbath was simply a, a day set apart for you to rest and to worship the Lord. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16 through 17 says, Let no one judge you for food or drink or regarding festival or, festival or new moons or Sabbath which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. In other words, Christ is our Sabbath rest. He's our rest. You know, we rest in the Lord. But what's interesting with Jesus, the whole people in the crowd, you have the disciples, you have the Pharisees and the religious rulers there. And remember, they were nitpicky about the law. They were pointing out their faults. And the only one perfect... In that group that day was Jesus. He's the only one perfect. You see, the religious leaders were pointing out, uh, they were pointing out the disciples. They were saying they were breaking the Ten Commandments. Well, what are the Ten Commandments? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Have no other gods before me. You know, don't make an image of God that is any likeness or, you know, we can make images of every anything, anything that's in our life that's more important than the place of God can be an idol. Okay, uh, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your mother and your father. How many times have we not honored our parents? Um, you know, uh, don't hate people. It's like murder in the heart. Don't don't uh, don't lie. Don't lust. You know, how many of us lusted? So all these. Here have fallen short. There was no one perfect there that day except Jesus. They all broke the law. And James chapter 2 and verse 10 says that if we break the law in one point, we're guilty of it all. So in other words, we're all guilty. We're all in trouble on the day of judgment, the Bible says. That's what the Bible teaches. From Genesis to Revelations, we are sinners and we need a Savior. The word sinner simply means we miss the mark of moral perfection. And those guys were pointing out, hey, they're missing the mark in that area. We all miss the mark. As Christians, we are called to live according to Scripture. But remember, Jesus was the only one perfect there. And did he give them grace? Absolutely. God gives them grace. So God gave the disciples grace. But whenever they erred, he did correct them. Okay, He did correct them. And whenever we sinned. And the Lord should correct us and we should be correctable. There's always a lesson to learn when we blow it. We need to be careful not to misinterpret scripture. And to strive as Christians to read through the whole word of God. For often, this was a problem with the Pharisees. They liked certain parts of the scripture, but they ignored a lot of other parts. So... Jesus often used the scripture in the Old Testament to make corrections, to clarify errors, to clear up opinions and thoughts and, and even practice because they were taking it out of context here, you know, just making these little things. And they were saying they're eating, okay, you're not going to heaven because you're, you're eating these little, these little things you're working on the Sabbath day. That's not what God meant here. He wanted you guys to have rest. We should have rest. We get busy and the Lord knows that some of us are workaholics and we won't take rest and we need rest. God wants us to rest, but Jesus is our rest. So that's a, so God gave the disciples grace, but he also corrected. So as Christians, we often... We need to be like Jesus. If we see something that's error, that's in error, we need to be corrected or correct. Um, when our opinion's off and our practice is off, we need uh, to be corrected. But be careful we don't take things out of context. That's why it's important for every believer to be in the Word of God. Read from Genesis to Revelations. And then when you're finished, go back again. Why? Because it gets deeper and wider. We get to know God's heart. And a lot of times people read the Bible, but they take little portions of Scripture out of context. So reading your Bible, Christian, will give you a fuller view of God's heart. God cares for us. He cares for the sinners. He know, And you know what? We need Him. He cares for the sinner. We all miss the mark. He cares for us, and, and we need Him. We need Him to save us. Jesus here uses old, an Old Testament example to make a point. He makes it, he illustrates truth, he corrects wrong. Why? Because we can become religious in our attitudes. We could think we're better than other people, we could think we're better than people in the world. We could have religious attitudes and thinking. But he used the word wisely and every Christian should learn how to use the word wisely. We need to pray and do the same as Jesus. When we need to uh, correct a wrong thinking, we use the word. We don't become uh, religious snobs. And that's what these Pharisees were. They were religious snobs in this time. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verses 23, he says, woe to you, uh, Pharisees, these religious rulers. He called them hypocrites. He says you you give tithes, you do all these things, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. In other words, you're taking a little portion of Scripture and applying it to your life. You're modeling that, but all the other part of Scripture you're ignoring. And that could happen to us. That's why I encourage you, Christian, to be in the Word. Genesis to Revelation, Because what happens is we start picking a certain thing and we start applying a certain thing, but we lack change in our hearts because we lack being in the word of God. We pick and choose what we like. We like all the encouraging stuff, but we don't like the correcting stuff. So want to encourage you to be in the word. But notice here in the text, the disciples never defended themselves. They never defended themselves. They could have said, hey, this ain't work. You know, what are you, what are you talking about? You're making a big deal out of nothing. They could, have correct, they, they could have defended themselves. But what a beautiful thing is Jesus always steps in on their behalf. He always steps in on their behalf. You read through the Gospels. When the, they came up against the disciples, Jesus always stepped in. And he made the corrections. He defended them. And he taught, and he, and he did a, an awesome work. Jesus always stepped in on their behalf. But we as Christians need to learn how to hold our tongue and let the Lord intervene in matters of our conflicts. Why? Because he is the moral authority. We've got to remember that God cares about our soul more than our hygiene and our religious ordinances. So these guys were making it just about a little practice. But they were ignoring other things. They were worried about hygiene. But they weren't weren't concerned about the soul. Kind of like today. We're worried about hygiene. But are we really worried about our soul? Where we're going to spend eternity? Because man made things ain't going to keep us from dying. We're all gonna die eventually. We're all going to stand before God. But God is the moral authority. He cares more about our soul than our hygiene and our religious ordinances. In first John chapter two verse one, John, the beloved said, my little children, speaking to the church, these things I write to you that you may not sin or make a practice of sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus, the righteous. And here advocate means one who is called to one side to to, to support and to defend and to minister to you. And often you know somebody offends us, we want to retaliate right away we want to we, we, you know we get offended we want to we want to respond instead of letting Jesus get involved. We see Jesus defending the church in the book of Acts, chapter nine verses six. remember when the persecution was coming and 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 Saul was persecuting the church. He was breathing murderous threats against the church, throwing women and men in prison, dividing families. He was like a wolf on the hunt for Christians. But God knocked him off his religious high horse. And he fell to the ground in verse 4. And Jesus told him, Jesus had died and resurrected. He was already sitting at the right hand of the father and, and Jesus from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did Jesus ever, did Saul ever physically touch Jesus? No, but Jesus takes it personally when somebody comes against you and he intervenes. But we as Christians need to learn how to get God involved in our conflicts. A lot of times we want to handle things ourselves and we, lie, we, we don't get God involved. But here Jesus goes on in verse 6 through 11, here on the next Sabbath. It says, let me find my spot here. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. Jesus is always teaching. And there was a man there whose whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might have an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts. Keep that in mind. Jesus knows our thoughts. And he said to the man who with a withered hand, arise and stand. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? Then he looked on. All around at them. You imagine that? And he just he knew their thoughts, and then he looked all around at them. They were in a maze. they were standing there. And he looked at them. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. But they were filled with rage and disgust to one another how they might. What they might do to Jesus. So again on the Sabbath. But like Jesus. They were the the opposition was looking. They were always looking for an accusation. Oh I'm I'm watching him to see if what he does. See if he breaks the law. See if he falls. See if he does something sinful. But like Jesus our opposition is always watching us. But will they find an accusation to discredit us and our faith? They, were, they will. But you know what? We're not perfect. They will find something to accuse you. Why? Because we're not perfect. We all miss the mark of moral perfection. We're all going to blow it. We don't walk on water. We're not Jesus. But as they watched for, to find an accusation for in Jesus... They will do the same to you to discredit you and your faith. So I thank God that my faith is not predicated on what I do because I fall short. It's not what I do. It's what he did 2000 years ago on the cross. So look at these guys. They were Jesus was teaching daily. He was teaching in every situation. He was teaching in the grain fields. Now he's teaching here in the synagogues. So if Jesus is always teaching as Christian as a Christian, I should always have a student attitude. I should daily be sitting at Jesus' feet. I should be attentively still, watching, listening, and learning from Jesus. And you know what? Jesus always wants to teach us. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's the same. He hasn't changed. We have You see today there's a there I believe there's a lack of ex, of expectancy for God to do a work in us. I really believe there's a lack of expectancy. We we do a lot of things on our own strength and our own flesh. When God wants to do a work in our lives, when he wants to teach us, he wants to minister to us, he wants to show us great and mighty things, but we don't have a level of expectation. But all through the scriptures, we are told to have a great expectation, not only for the Lord's coming, but for a work of the Spirit and his involvement in my life personally, in your life. Listen to Luke chapter 12, verse 40. Jesus says, therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So we have to have a level of expectation that He's coming at any moment. Last, Sunday, last Wednesday night, get the tape. Pastor Joe was teaching. Man, I, I was like, man, the Lord could come right now. I just had that. Man, Lord, that, that message was awesome. powerful. If you didn't hear Wednesday study, I encourage you to listen to it. Powerful. Are we ready? We have a level of expectation that he's coming. Most most of us are kind of lax a daisy. You know, we want, we just, we're, we're out there picking daisies. But Jesus is coming. The signs are, are around us. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, according to my earnest expectation. See, Paul had an expectation that God was going to do a work in him and in his people. He was going to do a work whether in his body or by his death, and that should be us too. We should have a level of expectation that God is going to do a work in me, but we really need to look, take an inner look and say, Lord, is there a work to be done? I, I know, I, I need work. And I need a work of, of Jesus. And look what Jesus is doing here in the text. The, the man knew he had a withered hand. But a lot of times we as Christians don't realize there's areas in our life or we don't give those areas in our life to the Lord for him to do a work in our lives. There's no level of expectation. Psalms chapter 62, verse 5, the psalmist said, my soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. Do you have an expectation this morning that he's going to minister to you? Do you wake up in the morning, open your Bible and have that expectation that he's going to speak to you? Man, yesterday morning, it, it was it was neat. You know, I've read the text over and over and over where 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 Peter was saying, hey, Lord, even if all these guys deny you, I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, hey, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so I read that text over and over and over. I thought about Peter's denial, but I never thought about the rooster. All the roosters in Jerusalem were quiet. He made them quiet. God was working in the rooster. He closed their mouth. And I was thinking, Lord, keep me quiet in my flesh from sin. Until you come, do a work in me. Because you're coming. There's no denying that. But if you can work in a rooster, you can work in me. Have your way. Keep me silent. Keep me dead to my own flesh. Keep me from anything that was going to rob me from going to heaven and spending eternity with you. Because there's a lot of things. But here, what Jesus said said he always backed up by what he did. And, and Christian too, we need to uh, not only say, the, say, say what we mean, but we need to do. But here Jesus spoke powerfully. He has authority. And when it comes to what we believe, it's not because of what I believe, it's what Jesus did. That's why I believe, not because of me. It's not predicated upon me in my faith. It's predicated upon what he did. And I put my faith in that, not in myself. It's what he did. He spoke powerfully. His words were authoritative. But here again, Jesus imparts grace and wisdom and healing. Why why did God heal this young man? He told him to stand up. What did he do? He stood up. He said, stick out your hand. What did the guy do? He stuck out his hand. He was simply obedient in the simple things. And Christian, if, if we want God to do a work in our hearts, we have to be obedient in the simplest things. Read read the word and simply apply it. Because God gives grace to the humble. He blessed this man. But look at his opposition here. Look at his his opposition was full of madness and bitterness and they were consumed with rage but be a student christian be a vessel that god could use be humble and most importantly we need to be obedient stand up he said stretch out your hand and then he goes on in verses 6 through uh, verses 12 through 16 And it said, and it came to pass in those days that he went to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12 whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon called the, zeal- the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Now, it's good to have Jesus as our example. And Jesus spent time in prayer before he made a big decision. And a lot of times we leave Jesus out of our decisions that we make. It would be wise for us as Christians, followers of Christ, to follow his example and spend time in prayer. But here, notice, Jesus had to put a little distance between him and those around him to spend time in prayer. And... It could be as simple as this. You know, I, I do it often when, you know, I have difficulties in, in my house or I'm going through some, a difficult thing. I go out in the front yard. I look up to the sky and I look at the stars and I call out to the one who created the stars. And I, Lord, you, you created all these stars and you, you man, you've done wonders and, and you're amazing. Help me in this area. How often we leave Jesus out of, or got the Lord out of our decision-making and the smallest of things. And we should have that attitude of prayer. You know, hey, I I feel offended, or or my emotions are are getting a hold of me, or I'm angry, or I'm having difficulties. And how many things that we go in through life where we lack getting God involved in our areas of life. And I'm guilty of that. I'm having a relationship with God. I want, and He's close to me, and I'm walking with Him. I want Him involved. I don't want Him a, a, a spectator just standing next to me. Jesus wants to be involved in our lives. So spend time in prayer. May there be go outside and spend a minute here and there. You're driving, take time to pray. You're going through th- something emotionally, or you're going to make a decision. Get God involved. Put some distance between you and those around you. Why? Because we get busy. We get comfortable. We want to vent to our friends a lot of times. We want to tell them our woes and our troubles and our difficulties. But we, we lack in the area of telling God the same way or the same passion of getting him involved. And he's there for you. He loves you. He wants to be involved in your life. But the beautiful thing here is Jesus called these people. He called them all these 12. He called them the apostles. But here's the thing. He called them to himself. And he's called every one of you. But he's called you to himself. To have that special relationship with. That's the beauty of the Lord. But you know what is also equally as beautiful? He's brought... And blessed us with some amazing family around us. The people sitting in these chairs. They're they're family. And we should be like family. We should enjoy each other in company. And encourage each other. As Hebrews chapter uh, 10 verse says. All the more as we see the days approaching. We need to pray for each other. We need to encourage each other. You know I'm grateful for being here 22 years. The theater days. A lot of people are here from the theater and when we were at the women's club and we had the classes in rural and, and we're here 22 years and I praise the Lord for those who stayed. And I praise the Lord for those who the Lord added. What a blessing you guys are. Me and pastor Joe were talking the other day of how blessed we are to have an awesome church family. Thank you. I thank the Lord for you guys. We thank the Lord for you guys and your prayers. But here, notice Jesus calls a diverse group to be like-minded. These guys were, were different. Matthew was a tax collector. You know, we have a zealot, the one who is politically crazy and, and, and just a rebel. And, and you have a brother and, you know, you have all these guys. You have a doubter and you have, you know, you, you have a traitor. But he called them to be like-minded. And they came together with common goals. And that's what we should be doing as a church. Coming together with a common goal to share, the go- to share the gospel, to live the gospel, and to glorify God as we do it. That's what you're called to do. You want to know your purpose in life? I don't have to, you don't have to read a book. Glorify God by how you live. That's your purpose. Draw close. Love God and love people. That's what you're called to do. And God has blessed us with an amazing, diverse group. And I thank the Lord for the group here of sharing the gospel and glorifying God while we do it. We need to pray, church. We need to pray that we finish well. Why do I say this? Because look at Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot's life serves as a warning to all of us. He was with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He partook in his ministry. He was with Jesus for three and a half years. He did amazing things. But his life serves as a warning to all of us. It's not how you start with Jesus. It's how you finish. And the enemy wants to rob, kill, and destroy. How do I know? Because he's trying to rob, kill, and destroy me. Man, the trials and temptations and the difficulties this last year have been heavy. All the more and more than any other year. You know, I do martial arts and, you know, it, when I, sometimes I come home and my grandson likes to do martial arts with me. He goes, hey, grandpa, you want to roll? And we'll roll around on the ground. We'll do jujitsu. And I'm playing with him, right? But I could get him in a submission and I could, get, and you know what? Even when I, when I do martial arts, Some of the lower belts, I could do that. I could play around with them and just waiting. But I work out with a black belt in jujitsu. And, man, the guy just toys with me. He's smaller than me, but he just toys with me. Like I'm I'm like a little, little toy. He just plays around with me. He waits till the timer's almost done. And then he just clamps on me and he chokes me out. That's what the enemy wants to do. He'll let you play with sin and he'll grapple with you and oh yeah, it's fun. Hey, but his nose his time is short and he's going to choke you out. He wants to rob, kill and destroy you. So Jesus goes on here in verse 17 through 19. And it said, then he, then he came down. He went to prayer and then he came down with them. And stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Who came to hear and to be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits or demons. And they were healed and the whole multitude sought to touch him. For power went out from him and he healed them all. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But Jesus loves you so much that he comes down to your level. When I think of this, I think of my grandsons, how sometimes I want to, you know, they don't understand everything that I say, but I come down to their level and they know that I love them. Jesus came down to our level so that that we can know that he loves us, that he desires us. To give us all that he wants to give. Like, like my, my grandsons. I want to give them. I want to bless them. I want to encourage them. I want to teach them. I want to be a part of their life. I want them blessed. I want them saved. I have to go down to their level. For, so they can understand that. But here you see Jesus coming down to our level. God's omnipresent. Jesus is God. Omnipresent God. God. Omniscient, all-knowing. He knew the thoughts. He knew what was going to happen. And omnipotent, all-powerful. And He comes down to our level. Why? Because He wants to spend time with you. He wants to intervene in your life. He wants to have a special relationship with you. He wants to bless you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants you to strengthen you. He comes down to our level. But would we rather have something else? We miss out on so much of what God wants to do. But here, notice too, Jesus loves us to even be a part of his ministry. He's called some to be a part of his ministry. And that's um, we're so blessed that that's why the people usher here and, and serve here. Because God has called them to be a part of his ministry. And he's called each one to be a part of his ministry. Pray about where you would serve him. But notice here, Jesus' ministry transcend, transcends racial barriers. He talks about Tyre and Sidon and people from all over the seacoast. Jesus' ministry transcends racial barriers. There's no races, there's human race. When Jesus sent out the disciples in the Great Commission, he says, go on to all the nations. And that word nations means ethnos. Ethnic groups. We're all one. We're all one blood. But Jesus was willing to touch. Jesus was willing to save. And Jesus was willing to heal people. And power, it says, went out from Jesus. And it still does. But how much many of us are lacking the power of Jesus in our life? Or don't recognize areas in our life that we need the power. You know, do we recognize that there are areas in my life that I need a touch? Lord, am I saved? Or Is there a healing? Or is there, there any vice in my life that I'm struggling with? That I lack power in some area of my life? It says power went out from Jesus. And it still does. Are we lacking But Jesus goes on in verses 20 to 23. And it says Jesus lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said. Blessed are you poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now. For you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But you notice here Jesus taught his disciples. He was teaching the disciples. But it wasn't for their ears only. And neither is the word of God for your ears only. It's for the world to see. What you apply from the teaching of the word of God and the reading of the word of God should be seen by your life. The application of God's word. But here, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. But he's not talking about a monetary, in a monetary sense. He's not talking about money. And a lot of times people say, well, blessed are the poor. But here he's speaking of those who truly realize that they are spiritually impoverished. You're bankrupt without Jesus. You have nothing. And you realize it. You realize you have nothing and you need Jesus. Blessed are you. You need the Lord's assistance in your life. And you're blessed because you know that the Lord has promised you an unequaled, incomparable treasure that goes beyond any monetary value. Man, the great things that await for those who love the Lord. You don't want to miss out. You don't want to be chasing things that are temporary. But here he goes on to say, blessed are you who hunger. And here he's not talking about tacos. Having that urge for tacos. He's talking about a spiritual appetite for the word of God. And I got to ask myself, do I have a spiritual appetite for God's word? If I'm not, I'm starving. I'm, I'm anemic or i I'm, a malnutrition, spiritually speaking. And the word of God will produce some righteousness in you. And you shall be filled and satisfied in him. Am I satisfied? Do I have a desire? If we don't, we need to pray. But Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are you who weep. And here, the blessed are those who grieve. Here he's speaking of. Those who grieve over the condition of this fallen world. Those who weep. Over the souls that are lost, if the Lord were come today, how many people would be lost in eternity in hell? Do we weep? Do we grieve over those things? Do we have a concern for the loss? He said, "Blessed are those who weep because you care." Like Jesus, he's not willing that any should perish, but uh, that all would come to salvation. And he says that these who weep will, have a, will be blessed with an everlasting joy. That laughter was speaking of an everlasting joy that God has promised in his kingdom. But he goes on to say, blessed are you when men hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. You see, when worldly people do sinful things, it doesn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise us. Why? Because they're sinful. And they're going the flow of the world and the world is getting darker. So people will start doing darker things. Shouldn't surprise us. I can't believe they're doing that. I can Judges tells us there's a generation who does whatever is right in their own eyes. And that every generation that went through that, God judged them. They didn't last long. But here Jesus says, blessed are you when they hate you and they exclude you and they revile you. And they cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. They will hate you. Jesus said, don't be surprised. They will revile you, meaning undeserved reproach or abuse or disrespect for you because you're a Christian. They will exclude you. And Christian, hopefully, they will excuse you or hate you, not because you're self-righteous or obnoxious. Don't be self-righteous and don't be obnoxious. But they will hate you because... You cling to biblical principles despite living in a world that's hostile to God's word and his ways. You're living by faith in the word. Not perfect because you're not. We're not perfect. We're living by faith and living according to God's word. Not the ever-changing culture that's around us because culture's changing. We've seen it change in five years. I've seen it change in 20 years, in 30 years, 50 years. Forty years, I've seen this world change, and in the last five years, was the most dramatic change. Can't imagine what's next. I know, I know what's next. Why? Because I see it as I read Judges and I read Leviticus and I read Numbers. How wicked things are going to get. We ain't seen nothing yet. We need, we need to pray. But they will hate you. Jesus said they will hate you because your lifestyle is not in tune with the world. They will exclude you. They will exclude you from the parties and hanging out with them. Why? Because even like somebody speeding on the freeway, they don't want a cop around when they're when they're breaking the law. Jesus said they will criticize you for how you live and the decisions you make because you're living by God's standard. But Jesus said, blessed are you when they cast out your name as an evildoer. They're going to call you evil. And they will call good. uh, Evil good and good evil. That's where we're headed. We're there. We ain't seen nothing yet. But here Jesus says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their fathers did to the prophets... Nothing has changed. You shouldn't be surprised. But we need to pray that God would help us to endure these blessings. He said, blessed are you, but I'm going to weep. Blessed are you, but you're going to be excluded. You're going to be hated. You're you're, going to be disappointed. And and it's going to happen from those you love. Those who are close to you. And I've seen it already happen. It's starting to happen. We need to pray for God's strength to endure the blessings. But Jesus goes on in verses 24 through 26. He says, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when men speak well of you. For so they did, so, for so did the fathers to the false prophets. They loved the false prophets. We see, nothing's changed. But here Jesus gives a sad contrast to being blessed. And he used the word woe. And that's, that's a word that's not in our vocabulary today. But that word woe is an outburst of great anguish. Great anguish. That will follow those who are, number one, who are living it up in this world with no care for the next life. You think, of, think about the ark. Jesus said in like the last days are going to be just like when Noah went in the ark. He said, for in the days before the flood came, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Judgment's coming. It's just a matter of time. God destroyed the world through a flood, and then He gave a rainbow to promise He will never flood the world, destroy the world again through a flood. But He did promise the next judgment, He's going to destroy the world with fire. It's going to happen. Whatever Jesus says happens. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says, Noah was divinely warned about the coming judgment. He moved with godly fear. His life moved with godly fear and he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And God is warning us. We need to move with godly fear. We need to pray for our households. Judgment's coming. It's just a matter of time. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 said, God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. So think about it. It's going to happen again. Just a matter of time. You know, I think about Sodom and Gomorrah, but I don't think about the immorality What saddens me is the loss of souls. The loss of souls. The loss of souls who thought Lot was joking when he was warning them to escape the wrath to come. They just laughed at him. They laughed it off. But Jesus says Woe awaits those who are satisfied with only fulfilling their carnal appetites while ignoring the conviction of sin and the conscience. And the Holy Spirit who's telling them to repent. Are there areas in my life that I need to repent? And I need to be careful and guard my heart? Absolutely. But they were laughing it off. They were casting it off. They cast off concern about their eternal destiny. They were living to please the world. Following the societal norms. But rejecting and not living to please God. And how many of us so-called Christians can get caught up with the world? Rejecting God, not listening to God's calling you back. Do the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. But we as Christians, we need to pray... That we don't miss out on the eternal riches by wasting our time pursuing only things that are temporary and which perishes and which will soon leave us in bondage and lead us to hell. We need to pray, Lord, help us to overcome any fleshly appetite that would grieve you, grieve him, and disqualify us. We need to pray. Lord, convict us, we need to pray. And he will convict us of our sins, but we should not be left in our sins. We should be asking God to transform us by the supernatural work of his Holy Spirit in our lives. Because sin will want to dominate you. It's just a matter of time. It's like that grappling uh, scenario I put to you. It'll let you play with it for a little while, but eventually it'll get you. It'll dominate you and it will rob, kill and destroy you and leave you a captive captive in hell. May we be honest with God. May we take an inward look. May we be honest with God and surrender to him while dying to ourselves when it comes to sin. May we be a people who walk reverently. He's omnipresent. God knows. We can't, we can't do things without Him seeing us. We think we're getting away with sin and we're not. Or we have our pet sin and we're comfortable with it. He knows. We need to pray that we're, we have a, a sense of Holiness and have a reverence towards God, and that we are guided by His Word, and we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to pray that, regardless of what this world is doing, what, what the world thinks, and what the world desires to do to you, we need to pray that we walk with the Lord. But here Jesus goes on to verse 27 through 36. He said, But I say to you, Who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and to pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer also the other. And from him who takes away your cloak, also do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those who, from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good. Lend. Hoping nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be called sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Let me read that again. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Man, we need to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. We need to live this way. We need to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. I can't do this on my own. See, God is asking us to love our enemies despite their intentions. And I know somebody doesn't like me, it's a hard thing to love them. It has to be a supernatural thing. God is asking me to love my enemies despite their intentions. To, good, to do good to those who hate us despite their actions. To bless those who curse us despite their ill will towards us. To pray for those who despite us and use us. Despite our feelings. Pray for them despite our feelings. In addition, God is asking us not to retaliate when we're offended. He's asking us also not to cling to our possessions when they're taken away from us. Don't cling too tightly to your possessions. They're going to be taken away. But then he's asking us to be generous without an expectation of anything in return. The question is the question was put to each question, question after question. Is God asking us to treat others how we would like to be treated? But here Jesus is giving a contrast, not to act like the world in these situations. Don't you know? Don't just be like the the world. They give a give to get, give to get, give to get. He's saying, don't love like the world. He's saying, love like me. Jesus is saying, love like me. You know, he went to the cross for people who didn't love him. In Galatians chapter 2, it says, while we were yet enemies of Christ, he died for us. He's, ta- he's teaching us to love like Jesus. I need the work of the Holy Spirit. He's teaching us to give, not like the world, but give like Jesus. Don't hold on to your possessions. Don't hold, hang on too tightly. What he's teaching us here is do not model ourselves after the worldly patter, pattern of, of being a good philanthropist, but being and model yourself after Christ. I need the work of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, I I might not get the credit, but God will get the glory when I start acting like Jesus. God will get the glory. And in closing, Jesus said, your reward will be great in heaven and you will be called sons of the most high. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Wow. He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. Man, Lord, help us. To live out scripture. Lord help us. Your people to act like you. You know I, I think. About the influential people in my life. You know I notice there's. Characteristics that I picked up. Good traits. You know. Uh, hanging out with my, my uncles. My cousins. My father. They, they, they were good hard workers. And I picked up that trait of. Of having a good worth ethic. Or, you know, those spiritual men in my life. I You know, I, I could see myself doing and saying things that they do. Because I spent time with them. They, they were influenced in my life. But how much more will our character change when we spend time with Jesus? I become more like Jesus when I spend more time with him. You start beginning to act like Jesus, and talk like Jesus, and handle situations like Jesus. The reason why we don't is because we're not spending time with Him. We're not being teachable. We're not. We're not being transformed. We, we're 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 we're, beca- we're staying like, living like me. I'm I'm became, I'm staying the same person. I'm not becoming like Christ. And that simply is that inner look. Am I acting like Christ in this situation? No. I'm acting like my flesh. Or we blame it on, oh, that's the way I've been raised. That's who I am. I'm a Hispanic or I'm Irish or I'm, I'm this or I'm that. That's just the way it is. No, it's not. It's your flesh. You're making an excuse. You're gonna get, we need to be more like Jesus. I need to spend time with him. I need him to do a work of his spirit in my life. So that the things that we say and the things that we do are clearly in step with his love and his character. May we know the Lord better. And I pray that we would experience his power and his influence in our lives. Pray that we would love like Jesus. Pray that we would do like Jesus. Pray that we would give like Jesus. That we would pray like Jesus and be more like Him daily. He was amazing. He still is. He still wants to be a part of our lives. He still wants to intervene in our lives. And we pray that our our actions would model His, despite our feelings or the difficult circumstances that we might face, because we are going to face difficult circumstances. But we need to be a grateful people. A grateful people. A thankful people. Here, Jesus is speaking about grace. You see, we don't deserve grace. We're sinners. We're wretched. We're miserable, blind, naked, and spiritual, lazy. We fall short. But we recognize it. And we fall upon God's grace and His mercy. And we said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm messed up. And if you were to come, become today, I would be lost. Because I rejected you. Because I'm living for today and I'm not living for tomorrow. And tomorrow's going to come. It's just a matter of time. But we recognize that we're sinners. We need a Savior. And He died for my, in my place. My sins were placed upon Him on Calvary, on on the cross. He died for every sin that I ever committed. And I say, Lord, I am a sinner. I did those things. Save me. And you know what? By grace, we've been saved through faith. That not of ourselves. It isn't religion. It isn't my works. It isn't being perfect because I'm not. It's because I put my faith and trust in Him. And he who was perfect died in my place so that his righteousness is put to my account. So when I stand before God on the day of judgment, he sees Jesus. He's my advocate. I stand perfect. I get to go into heaven because I'm perfect. Not because I'm perfect. Because Christ is perfect. That's grace. I don't deserve That's mercy. I beg for mercy. Because we deserve judgment. And Jesus here is saying, He was merciful to us, the offenders. He wants us to be merciful too, to those who offend us. And we have to pray that God would do a work of His Spirit, man. Because you know what, living like this, I can't do it on my own. I need a work of God. And it, you know, one of my brothers even said, "I will hope you weren't going to teach on that text." And that's what the Pharisees did at the beginning. They, they, they liked a certain text and they, they kept to the law, the law in that area, but they ignored all the others. And we could do that, too. We could we could like the blessing text or the texts that are encouraging and the beauty and the promises. But I can neglect the warnings, the correction in my life and all those things. I could become like that. So we need to pray, Lord, transform us. I can't live this way without your work of your Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And Father, we thank you, Father, for your mercy, your grace that you've given each one of us, Lord. Help us not to uh, take that for granted. Father, we pray for a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit in us, Lord. Continue to convict us of sin and judgment and righteousness. That's what you do. But you also offer us encouragement the work of Your Spirit to heal us, Lord, and minister to us, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that we, as Your church, would be honest with You. Father, You know our thoughts, Lord. You know what we struggle with. You know our difficulties, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord, that You would minister to our hearts. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would not be like the Pharisees. Religious snobs but that we would be students, Lord, that you would teach us daily, but also that we would witness the work of your Spirit in our lives, but also in the lives of those we love. Father, transform us. Encourage us when we're hated and despised and rejected and all those things. Help us not to be caught up with the world. Help us to keep our eyes, Lord, on those heavenly riches, Lord, that you promised, Lord. May we continue to weep for the loss, Lord, and the souls of our loved ones, Lord, and the condition of this world. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be empowered, we would be strengthened, we'd be equipped for such a time as this. So, Father, we thank you. Bless your people. And Father, we thank you for the offering that we receive here, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you're glorified, that you would be blessed, Lord, that it would be used for your glory and your kingdom. And for your people, Lord, to grow in the grace and knowledge of you, Lord. Help us, give us wisdom and discernment. Help us to be good stewards of all that you've entrusted us to, Lord. Bless your people, Lord. Thank you, Father, for so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, we all say. Amen.